This is Levi Brackman with the Jewish Wisdom for Business and Life podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Today is the 49th episode of this podcast. So one before the 50th. And that actually is very symbolic because in the Jewish world, we are now on the 49th day from Passover. And on the 49th day in the evening, we celebrate Shavuot. And tonight we are celebrating Shavuot. So on my 49th podcast, on the 49th day of the Omer, which tonight is Shavuot, I am recording the 49th episode of the Jewish Wisdom for Business and Life podcast. So I thought that it would make a lot of sense to talk about Shavuot or the Festival of Weeks because 49 days is seven weeks. And therefore, the Festival of Shavuot is really called the Festival of Weeks. There is another name for the Festival of Shavuot, and that is called Zman Matan Torateno, which means the time of the giving of our Torah. Now, the Torah is the five books of Moses and its associated books, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, and a lot of people also include in that the Talmud and what's considered to be the oral law, the written law, which is the scriptures, and then the oral law, which is the Mishnayot and the Talmud. So today I want to do something a little bit personal and different than what I've done in the past, and that is I want to talk about my own evolving relationship with Judaism and religion in general, because this isn't something which I've really discussed a lot on this podcast. Um, but you might, as I've started recording these podcasts, uh, also in video, you might see there's a lot of books behind me. And I was a, a rabbi and a teacher of Torah for many years. And I'm now a startup founder, a business person, PhD in psychology. I still study Torah every single day. And I, I love it. I really enjoy studying Torah. Now, but my relationship with Torah has changed significantly over the years. And my relationship with religion and how Torah and how I see Torah in my life has also changed significantly over the years. Now, as one grows and one becomes more knowledgeable and one gains more insight and one is able to assimilate more data, what happens is that one changes one's perspective. One, one is a child. One is, has a very primitive, if you like, a very sophomoric, a very junior kind of view of things because one only knows what one is taught and the people who teach one as a child usually are not that knowledgeable either. They know more than the child knows, but that doesn't mean that they're very knowledgeable about things. As one grows older, one gains knowledge, one gains insight, one assimilates more data and one changes one's perspective. And that is a good thing. That's called growth. One shouldn't just stagnate. A lot of people, they peak in high school and then they never grow uh, and they never think about things again. And they continue to have views of a high schooler or views of an adolescence. Some people, they stop growing in their 20s and they their views are set. That's what they are in their 20s. But th those of us who are thinking individuals, we continue to grow and continue to evolve. So I want to talk a little bit about my personal relationship with Judaism and religion and what Shavuot means to me today at my age of 45 years old and after I've evolved significantly. So a little bit about like where I came from. I came, was brought up in a Hasidic uh, house. My father wasn't Hasidic, but my mother was. And because that I was, went to Hasidic schools, the Chabad Lubavitch variety. And it was a pretty 
intense upbringing, I would say, especially my education, because we weren't taught English or math. Uh, we studied either Talmud or Chumash or the Bible all day long, and we actually were taught in Yiddish. So I speak a fluent Yiddish, and uh, that's because that's what we were taught growing up. And uh, I've spoken about this on other podcasts. You know, that kind of upbringing was pretty intense. My father was a scientist, so we did get a dose of kind of, unlike some of my peers who didn't get it, but we did get quite a bit of a dose of open-minded, and uh, we were exposed to science as well. Not from an educational perspective, but my father being a scientist, we got exposed to that. And we won't get into all those details because it's not as interesting as what I want to discuss, which is what what it means to me today. And the reason why I think it should be relevant to a lot of people who listen to this is because I'm sure if you've listened to this podcast, it's because you're a thinking person um, and you're a person who likes and appreciates a pretty open and well thought out view of things. And therefore, I think I owe it to you to give you a more nuanced approach to religion because I think it's very been very helpful to me and maybe therefore very helpful to you as well, how I've come about to think about things. So let's start off with the way in which religion was presented to me as a child. And it was presented to me as this is the truth, the only truth. And in some ways, this truth rivaled scientific truth. And the way it was presented to me as a child was that, well, science changes, religion never changes, the Torah is the fact and the truth, everything is in the Torah, there's nothing which can't be found in the Torah, even, and for example, Einstein's theory of relativity, well, that too is found in the Torah, and if you can't find it there, that's only because you don't know how to look for it well enough, but if you look for it well enough, it will be in the Torah because the Torah is a source of all knowledge and everything is there and it is the, the ultimate of all truth. And that's the way it was presented. And the Torah, the world was created in six days, six actual days of 24 hours. God said there should be light. And in fact, there was light. And that is what happened. God uh, threatened Noah that there would be a flood and uh, told them to go out there and get the people to repent. And if they didn't, there would be a flood and he would kill all people. God got angry. People didn't listen. He created a flood and killed off most of humanity, etc., etc., etc. These were all facts taught to me as this is just the way it is. And we didn't question it. <laughs> we believed it uh, 100%. And we weren't exposed to anything different. So we didn't have an opportunity to believe anything different because this is just the way it was presented to us and we obviously were taught that somehow the Torah was superior to science changes, scientists change their mind the whole time, Torah never changes its mind, it's always true. I remember one teacher telling us that what is called a lying river, a river which dries up once every seven years is called a lying river because it's not truthful because something which is truthful is always the same forever. And science is something which changes, and since it's subject to change, therefore it's not true, it's false, whereas the Torah and religion never changes, and therefore it is, it is the truth. And that's how it was presented to me. So we have the truth, very fortunate that we are able to accept the truth, and that is the way it is. Now, over time, as I grew up, I started to notice that maybe things didn't seem to be the absolute truth as was presented to me. Maybe you know, there are things in the world which seem to 
contradict this truth of the Torah. And specifically, we were taught that uh, rabbis and what they were called tzaddikim or rebbers were these infallible individuals who could never mistake and they were, could never make a mistake and they uh, always did what was right. They were presenting the word of God on earth to us and we need to listen to what they had to say. So in every generation, you have this person called a tzaddik and the tzaddik is this person who you have to listen to because he is the conduit for God in this world. And as a chassid, we had a big tzaddik who was in our life at the time, Rabbi Schneerson. And he, he was somebody, Menachem Mendel Schneerson, he was somebody who we revered. We would wake up in the middle of the night because we were in England and he would give these long talks for five, six hours uh, starting at 9 p.m. New York time. So 9 p.m. New York time, that's 2, p- 2 a.m. in the morning. We would wake up at 2 a.m. I was a little kid. And we would wake up at 2 a.m. to listen to him talk in Yiddish for hours. We would go to sleep at 6 a.m. after he had finished talking. And that was part of part and parcel of what we did. And and we revered him. And he was this person who every question we had, we asked him. And my mother would, uh, in particular, go and ask him questions. For, she wouldn't tie a shoelace, so to speak, without asking him which we sh- she should tie it. And that's how we lived our life. and But over time, this started to show some cracks because it just became apparent that you know you read the Bible and you read this, you read even the the stories of Genesis, and really, I mean, the world was created in six days, six actual days, and by God saying it, and this is the sum total of how the whole of existence came into being, and the story of Noah and the flood, because God decided that He wanted to bring the flood, therefore the flood came and. You know, the story of, of, of Abraham and the kings, on and on. All the stories, they just, as we, I read them, they didn't, they, it didn't sit well with me. Um, and I struggled with this being the truth and the ultimate truth, a truth, a truth with which rivaled science. And I, it just became really apparent to me this might not be the case. And then when I was about uh, 16 years old, this great rabbi who we revered and who he uh, seemed to indicate very strongly that he was the messiah and he was the person who was going to bring about the redemption of all of this was he was the culmination of all the prayers and everything which of all of history if you like was going to happen through him and he was going to be the messiah redeem the jewish people from the exile and take us all back to israel and on these clouds of glory and he, he spoke in these very messianic terms and a lot of us, his followers, really believed that he was going to be the Messiah. And together with that, he wasn't, that he wasn't going to die. And he was actually very sick. He'd suffered a couple of strokes, and he was a very sick man. But we didn't believe that he would die. We believed that he would, he would bring about the Messianic Age, and somehow he would miraculously become well again, as Messiahs do. And uh, he would create this, and usher in this Messianic Age, this miraculous age, where all spirit of impurity would evaporate from the land, and we would live a land of excuse me, we'd live a life of absolute and total uh, utopia. And we really believed that. And then uh, he passed away. And that was a massive jolt to my faith. Massive. Uh, can't underestimate it. What a significant jolt that was to my faith. We really believed that with complete sincerity as children. And we were taught that. We were taught that this was the greatest man to ever exist. And that was a lot of it was encouraged by him. And that crisis of faith evolved over a long period of time. It had the multiple phases of it. 
But I think it probably came to a head when I was about 30. So I'm only talking about 15 years ago. And I realized that I, I just didn't really believe in this. And uh, I needed to make some major changes. But here's the thing that happens when one realizes that one really doesn't believe in something that one was brought up with. Because it's a very, very destabilizing thing to take place. Because one's entire value system is entirely wrapped up in this belief system. And, and once that goes away, what happens to one's values? That also disappears. And one's values makes one's who one is. And because it's not just a belief system, it's also like how you think about life, what your morals are, how you behave, what your identity is. And when that goes away, it's a very significant crisis and uh, one which should not be at all underestimated for anyone going through that. But I realized that I, I needed to evolve this slowly and carefully and really think it through. And that's what I did. It took me a, a very long time to reevaluate everything I was ever taught, everything I knew about Judaism, everything I thought about religion, I had to now reevaluate and reexamine from the ground up. And I went, took me probably about six or seven years to actually go through that process. A tremendous amount of very deep study, uh, reading books, some of them multiple times, some of the great works of Judaism and, and some of the greatest thinkers to ever live and their books and try to understand where they came from and reading them once and twice and thinking about it. And then also reading other people's books from other religions. And I can get uh, at some other point, perhaps a, a book list, but spent a tremendous amount of time studying, thinking, analyzing, and rebuilding. Rebuilding is key. And I, I think that what I've realized over time, now that I'm a, a few years removed from this, it, that is actually how all intelligent people should go about their lives. And the way I think about this is you can go to buy a suit. You can go to the store and you can take a suit off the shelf and put it on and it fits. But it's never going to be fit 100%. It's somewhat ill-fitting. That's the easy way to do it. Or one can go and get one tailored and that it fits you perfectly. It's tailored 100% for your body. And that is the better suit to wear. So I, I often when I think about this, I think that most thinking people should really tailor their worldview to who they are rather than just take one off the shelf. It's the harder way to do it. It's the path less traveled, but it's a very valuable thing to do because then you really have an assimilated perspective. There's different types of religious motivation as found by psychologists. There's a theory of human motivation called self-determination theory. And in it, they have, as part of that, they have these two states of religious motivation, one called introjected religious motivation, and the other one, which is called identified religious motivation. Introjected religious motivation is when you are motivated to be a part of your religion because of something outside of yourself. It's because perhaps you are wanting to be a part of a community or you're scared that if you don't do it, you'll be thrown out of the community or because you're scared that you don't want to go, you're scared of going to hell, for example, or because you are worried that your family will disown you if you don't, or you want to be more part of your family. Whatever the reasons are, it's not because it's you. And identified religious motivation 
is this concept that the reason why you are motivated to be part of the religion is because you fully identify with the ideas within the religion. And what they find is that people with identified religious motivation have a healthier attitude towards religion. In fact, are much more likely to be more tolerant of others and also not to be as dogmatic. Whereas people with introjected religious motivation are much more likely to be dogmatic and they're much more likely to be um, intolerant of other people who have opinions that are different than their own. The reason why I bring this up is because it is, I think, the thinking person should go through a, a, a process where they relearn their religion and relearn the basis for their religion to the degree where they have an identified religious motivation, where they feel that the religion which they practiced that is part of their life is really identified with who they are on the deepest levels. And that doesn't happen on its own. That happens through a process. So it's a process one needs to go to to rebuild within oneself or to build from the the get-go this this motivation or this basis for religion and for one's relationship with the religion, which is very much identified with who one is on on the deepest of levels. So I went through this process and it took me probably five, six or seven years till I got there. And uh, fast forward, I just want to let you know where I got to. Because today I still study religion and I study the Torah and I study the Talmud very regularly. And I study it, though, from a completely different perspective than I studied it previously. Today, I don't see religion and the Torah as being the truth. Rather, I see it as containing truths. And what do I mean by this? The truth would be this thing, which is the ultimate of the facts, the ultimate of what exists. But truths are things which are constant in the world. They teach you something fundamental about how things are rather than the way the way things are. How things are rather than the way things are. What I mean by that is it, when you have a truth, you can say something like, for example, th- there is something beyond the physical. Now that's a truth. Is it the truth? Maybe we don't have any evidence for it, and so therefore we don't know that it's the the truth. But it's a truth. It's a truism. It's something that you can live your life with. One should be kind to one's fellow. Now, what is that? The truth, or is it a truth? It's a truth, right? It's a difference. It's interesting that today we have this thing called in 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 the political realm. You have truth social. So truth social. Again, it's trying to say this is the truth. But the reality is that humans have a great difficulty finding the truth. Everyone has their own truths. And religion offers you one's, a, 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 some truths to live by. And that's incredibly valuable to have that in one's life. Rather than the truth. So often one gets confused between the truth and truths. And the truth is uh, maybe science can get closer to the truth because we have ways in which we can measure things according to science but even science doesn't own the truth so the truth is something which is a very challenging thing as a matter of fact the word truth almost doesn't exist in the bible interestingly truth 
and uh, as is acquainted with kindness, as, as Abraham says to his servant Eliezer, do with me a truth and a kindness. In other words, the idea of truth doesn't mean this is factual, this is the truth, constant, forever. Rather, it means that this is something which is uh, equated with kindness, which is do me a truth and a kindness, in other words, do me a solid, do me something good, is what it means. So that doesn't mean that one shouldn't be truthful. One should try to be truthful. As a matter of fact, there is no obligation in the Torah to say one should be truthful. It just says, Keep far away from falsehoods. So don't be fraudulent. Don't be falsehoods. It doesn't say to be truthful because it, the Bible had enough truth within it, enough of the truths to understand. And this is one of the truths of the Bible, which ironically, modern-day religion just completely doesn't talk about and actually makes it doesn't exist. It doesn't say you're obligated to, to be truthful or to, 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 to the, for the truth because one doesn't have the ability to know what the truth is. That's not possible. But one does have the possibility to keep as far away from falsehoods as possible because one knows what seems to be false. So if you keep as far away from falsehoods from as possible, then you'll get closer to the truth. But the idea of this is the truth, the ultimate truth in this is, is not something which even the Bible itself makes a claim for. It just tells you to keep away and keep a distance from falsehoods. So the way it was presented to me as a child, that this is the truth, and this is this one man, this is the man who embodies all of the truth, and it never changes because it's the truth. It's just simply not the case. And even the Bible itself, the Torah itself, doesn't present itself as such. It presents itself rather as a book of truths rather than the truth. So take back to the world was created in seven, in six days. Is that the truth? I would contend today absolutely not. The world was not created in six days. The world was evolved over billions of years. But the six days of creation is teaching us a truth. Not the truth, but a truth which is incredibly valuable to us in our life. It teaches us that the world didn't just come about just out of nothing. Rather, it was an intentional thing that was created by a being that is higher than ourselves. And it spoke that way to the ancient Semites in a way in which they would also be able to comprehend this truth. So therefore... The story, which is a very powerful story, was created in a way in which they would understand the truths that were being conveyed through the story. Now, if one sees all the stories of the Bible that way, then one doesn't have the same kind of challenges that I had as I was growing up. One doesn't look around and say, hey, this isn't true. And if it's not true, what else isn't true that I've been taught? What Rather, these are truths and these stories convey truths that you can take into your life in a very powerful way. And by those truths then those become very valuable in your life. Very, very valuable in your life. Because through that, you can actually gain truths which can help you live your life, the best life. Live your life, a life well lived. Because they're teaching you truths. Science doesn't teach you truths. Science teaches you how things are, uh, what things are, rather than how things should be. Whereas the Torah and religion teaches you how things should be. And this is a very, very important distinction which should be made. So today, what is my relationship with the Torah? Well, the relationship with the, with the Torah is not that this is the book of truth, but this rather this is a book of truths. And through those book of truths, I'm able to learn things and gain insight and wisdom 
and, and bring some of those ideas into my life in a way in which is incredibly valuable and can help me live a life well lived. And therefore, I still have it as very valuable in my life and I look at it uh, as a valuable book and as a book which I should continue to study and learn. It contains the wisdom and truths of my people, my heritage, and for, for generations upon generations, some of the smartest people in the world have read this, put their time and effort into studying it and giving commentaries about it. And therefore, it's valuable to read. It's part of my heritage. And it conveys these truths which are incredibly valuable to me and in my life. And today, therefore, as we hit Shavuot, the 49th episode of this podcast, on the 49th day of the Omer, and Shavuot is coming, we celebrate the giving of the Torah. The giving of this book, which contains truths, timeless truths, that can help us live our life and live a life lived from now and into the future and many, many people in the past. But I would just caution people, please, as you teach, as you teach the Torah, just be truthful about what it is. And to be the irony that I'm using the word truthful, this, the Torah itself, never claimed to be a book of the truth but rather a book of truths. And if you, one is much more honest with one's students, that this is a book of truths and one which one should read and then try and assimilate these ideas and truths in one's life in the best way possible to live a, a life best well lived, then that is a much easier way in which one can accept that this is a book of value other than saying this is the truth and it rivals science because at that point it becomes something which one can demonstrate to be false and then you are now contravening the idea of midvash sheket tirchak, of please keep as far as possible away from falsehoods. So if teachers kept that in mind, fewer people would come to a crisis of faith because rebuilding when everything is destroyed is a very hard thing to do, I can tell you from personal experience. I hope this has been helpful. This has been Levi Bracken with the Jewish Wisdom, Jewish Wisdom for Business and Life podcast. Thank you so much for joining. And next week, I am going to do the Hadron on the, or the, the, the review on Masechet Sota, which we finished. And that will be the 50th episode and the final episode of this season of the podcast. So next week, the grand finale. And then in the coming season, we'll do something a little bit different for this podcast. And maybe it just won't be me. I'll bring in some other people to also talk about Jewish wisdom and Jewish ideas for business and life. Meanwhile, have a very happy Shavuot and till next time.